0: Hi everyone, it's Erin with Tall Ships America, and you are listening to A Bark, A brig, and A Schooner Walk Into a Bar, a podcast where I get to know the people in our Tall Ships community. Today's guest is Corey Roy, first made aboard Schooner Virginia in Norfolk. We talk about his journey from Oregon to Virginia via the U.S. Navy and how life aboard a submarine is similar to life aboard a tall ship. We dig into his enthusiasm for Scottish culture. And I deeply regret not asking him to play the bagpipes for me.
1: All right. Uh, my name is Corey Roy. I'm the chief mate on the Schooner, Virginia, in Norfolk, Virginia, which is part of the Nauticus Foundation.
0: So can you tell me a little bit about Nauticus Foundation? What, what is that? What do you guys do?
1: So the Nauticus Foundation is connected to the city of Norfolk. It's a nonprofit that runs the Nauticus Museum um, in downtown Norfolk on the waterfront. It's a uh, maritime museum. And from everything from – we have the Battleship Wisconsin as, like, the main attraction museum with a lot of exhibits connected to that, connected to the Elizabeth River um, there, the history of Norfolk in the maritime sense. And then there's also the Sail Nauticus program, the branch of it, and that's – we have a fleet of Harbor 20 sailboats that have a um, primarily middle school sail academy. Um, And they've been doing that for, I think going on like eight years now. Um, They then noticed about the Schooner Virginia in 2016 to integrate into the Sail Nauticus program.
0: Okay, so how long have you been with um, Schooner Virginia then?
1: Uh, Since 2016. The captain, Eric Losey, I had worked with in the past on Lynx and Arabella. When he uh, came on to Virginia, he knew that I was local in Norfolk and called me and asked, like, hey, you want to come work on Virginia? It's yes. usually how it works, right?
0: <laughs> so wait, when were you aboard Lynx?
1: I helped out with uh, a transit and then the schooner race in 2014.
0: Corey, where are you from originally?
1: Uh, I was born and raised in Bend, Oregon, in central Oregon, the east side of the state, kind of out where the mountains transition out to desert. Hmm.
0: I hear the sailing's really good out there.
1: Oh, man. You <laughs> <laughs> small boats on lakes. I did a little bit of windsurfing growing but that was the extent of my sailing. Through a long series of events I'm not even going to, I ended up uh, in in the Navy when I was Mm -hmm. 19, worked on submarines. I did a tour on a submarine, uh, followed by a tour at North Naval Shipyard. When I moved to Norfolk to work at the shipyard, through local friends and stuff, I started learning how to sail. And my friend who taught me how to sail also introduced me to um, Greg and Laura Losey, who own Schooner Alliance up in Yorktown. Right. Yeah, so that was while I was still on active duty, just kind of started volunteering aboard Alliance. And then I got out of the Navy in 2016 and just decided I was going to school at ODU at the time, Old Dominion University in Norfolk. Just decided to keep on sailing as my job while I was going to school. Um, Still kind of in progress, in process of going to school for mechanical engineering. And so at the time, I started working on American Rover. So I worked on them for, um, for a full season in 2016 before I came on to Virginia in the fall, at the end of that season to get the new COI and, um, and then down. Right.
0: So I would imagine that being a submariner might translate well to being on board a tall ship in that you're in a rather confined space with people for an extended, <laughs> for an extended amount of time. And it's a lot of um, diplomacy. It's a lot of, Maintaining relationship?
1: It does translate pretty well. And what I like to tell people who ask about like Navy time compared to the tall ships and anything else, that in my all of my experience, just being on a ship is being on a ship. Doesn't really matter what kind it is. Right. Once you're in watch rotations and going, it's all the same. You know, duties are a little bit different, but they're all there. You know, I reach back to my old submarine experience a lot to kind of inform what I'm doing these days.
0: Can we talk about your submarine experience a little bit? I know this is supposed to be about tall ships, but I have only known like one or I really know one other person who was a submariner and he wasn't allowed to talk about it. So (laughs) the first thing that comes to mind, and I'm sure this is the first thing that a lot of other people say too, like, don't you get claustrophobic?
1: I never did, and I didn't know anybody that did. Submarines, modern submarines are pretty big. You know, I was on a Los Angeles class fast deck submarine that's 360 feet long and about 30 feet in diameter. There's three. Three decks inside, our levels, I guess. So it's pretty spacious. You know, I'm six foot tall, and I never had a problem with bumping my head or anything. We had a couple guys who were six seven, and they sort of had to bend over. But
0: well, I think if you're six seven, you you're kind of how you live your life. <laughs> like, I don't know what to tell you at that point. I'm a, I'm a full like foot and a half shorter than that. So, um, <laughs> so but my question is, So, how many people were on board the the submarine?
1: Uh, we had about 110 on that kind of thing. So.
0: Oh that's not bad at all. I mean if you think about Eagle or one of the other a ship that would be somewhat comparable to that. I mean they have hundreds of yeah. crew members on board. So that actually seems like you have a little bit of breathing room.
1: Yeah it's a relatively small crew. You are in close quarters having the hot bunk for your first couple of years because there's not enough bunks for everybody and <sighs> things like that. But only one washer and dryer for Everybody.
0: <laughs> really? That's surprising. Really, the military is only one washer dryer?
1: On that size of the ship, yeah. I appreciated it for how small it was and you know, knowing everybody. On a lot of warships, I think you don't see the captain every day, even just in passing, but on the, you did. I didn't go back for a second tour, put it that way.
0: That's fine. Once is enough. That's okay.
1: <laughs> I did one and I'm glad I did it for sure. Most people never experience, you know being hundreds of feet underwater for months and months at a time. and
0: Yeah. Oh, of, gosh. Really for months <laughs> at a time?
1: I think the longest I ever spent underwater with the sh- without the ship surfacing was something like 42 days or something. Oh, my
0: uh, God. I'm seriously getting, like, I'm seriously getting claustrophobic just thinking about, it. like, all of a sudden, like, all the pressure of the water above you. <laughs> it's just, ah. I guess after a while, you do stop to think. You stop Obviously, you stop thinking about it. You, you get used to it, and you.
1: I was an engineer back then. I was a machinist mate, so I worked on the um, on the nuclear plant and the seawater systems. And so I'm dealing with things exposed to you know sea pressure all the time. You think about it, like um, I don't know, just the other day, uh, April 10th was the anniversary of the uh, Thresher sinking back in uh, it was like the late 50s, or early 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I sank uh, during sea trials and. After that, they developed what's called the SubSafe program, which is a maintenance, you know, a quality assurance system that is used today, and it's what keeps everybody safe since that tragedy happened and all hands were lost when that ship went down. So you think about it, you know, you're you're it's constant throughout our training and stuff to pay attention, you know, to learn how to do everything exactly right so that that can't happen again.
0: Can I ask what happens in an emergency? Are there do you have to surface? Are there this is I'm I don't know. I don't even know what I'm asking, but like how do you get off the ship if there is an emergency and you're, you know,
1: hundreds, um, thousands yeah, of you, feet underwater? You try you try to surface, but if you can't, <laughs> there is an emergency escape system where you can get out, you know, down to a certain depth. If you uh you, you're familiar with um the Gumby suits, right? Your your emergency yeah, suits. Yeah. there's a very they, uh, submarines have very similar ones except they have an extra hood attached and an air connection. So oh. you, Plug into the air and then you, they open the hatch and you just sort of shoot to the surface. And then because there aren't like life rafts, each right. one of those has a personal life raft mounted to the leg that you then get in once you're surfaced. Yeah, if you were to Google submarine escape suit, you'd find them.
0: Ooh, that's so cool. I had no idea. Um, but yeah, but going back to how that relates to being on board a tall ship, then, I mean, are they co ed?
1: Uh, when Some I was them. in. It was just starting to transition to that, um, and that's on some of the bigger classes of submarines, not on the ones that I was on at the time. But yeah, it's it's transition. I think women started working on warships back in like 1996. How long ago they started coming onto um, any you know warships? But then now submarines are there, and there was some issues right at the beginning, but not anything outstanding, you know. Yeah, one thing I do appreciate about tall ships and just being in a, a close environment that's even much smaller than my submarine was, and Everybody being co-ed, especially like open folks on stuff, and I've never seen any issues. Everybody's super respectful. Like you just you do your own thing and you don't worry about other people, and it it just works, you know. So
0: tell me about a day in the life of uh, Chief Mate aboard Virginia.
1: We have a very small uh, professional crew, just the captain and I, and then sometimes we have another engineer or deckhand, like one or two, maybe depending on the time of year. Uh, we primarily uh, rely on a volunteer corps to do all the maintenance and operations and everything else. So, you know, Captain Eric and I are there five days a week, you know, plus mm-hmm. it's our full time. And we take care of all the regular maintenance, you know, and everything that needs to be done. And then we, uh, most winters, we downrig and cover um, and then, you know, do whatever needs to be done. Last winter, we pulled both lower masts out and had to rebuild portions of them where there was some rot oh. um, and then we also cut off the transom and rebuilt that. So and we have a total total of about 90 volunteers a year that come out. There's probably a core group of about 20 that do a lot of it. Yeah they do everything with us and uh, we've got some really really awesome volunteers. Uh, one of our volunteers is a retired submarine captain. Oh, um, cool like, you know, obviously we use him as a watch leader and as a navigator, Mm -hmm. and it's like, he's very quiet and unassuming, and he's just super nice, and then you like, then you remember that he's commanded a couple of different submarines and squadrons of submarines, and you're just like, oh, okay, like, hey.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so cool, though. You know, it's so interesting that people who are drawn to this, and I think that, you know, even, yes, I tend to focus on um, the professionals or people who are doing this as a career, but even those, even the volunteers, I mean, you get these really fascinating people um, who are so passionate about it, and they just want to be around the ship, you know, they, you can give them, like, the, you know, you can have them, like, sanding all day, and they're just thrilled to be a part of it, to actually... (laughs) And I, like, I love it. You can't do it without, you can't do it without those volunteers. You really can't.
1: <laughs> during the year, Virginia is such a beautiful ship. And during the year when we're out doing, you know, public appearances and bringing people aboard, and it just constantly, they compliment how nice everything looks. And, and that's what makes all the, the hard sanding and varnishing and painting throughout the winter, you mm-hmm. know, and the rest really worth it when other people come and see, see it. And you can just really appreciate that. What all that work you did—that was maybe really boring and monon- monotonous, you know.
0: Well, she is lovely. I have seen her under sail. She's quite striking. So she must be amazing once she really gets going. What's the sailing uh, like?
1: Oh, it's—I uh, it's, uh I mean, it's awesome. She's fast, and she just just goes and goes and goes. Um, yeah. On you know, our normal transits up and down the bay, we see we see 12 plus knots pretty uh, pretty often. Top speeds about 15 knots, which I haven't seen personally, but I know. Uh, the ship hit it during the two thousand and seventeen great Chesapeake Bay schooner race when we broke our own old record to set a new course record there. Um, that was a hundred uh eighteen miles in eleven hours, one minute, and forty four seconds Did
0: you do it in the past few years son
1: yeah, so i've done that race um five times, I think so I did it in two thousand and fourteen on links in two thousand and fifteen on norfolk rebel i'm I'm good friends with uh, Stevie Briggs that owns that and um through you know because he's there in Norfolk he's down at Harbor Fest all the time.
0: For those who may not be familiar with Norfolk Rebel, can you describe that ship?
1: Yeah, so she's a sail assisted tugboat. Lane Briggs, who is very famous in the Chesapeake Bay, um, influential in starting Norfolk's Harborfest, you know, a uh, the Great Chesapeake Bay schooner race itself, along with Captain Miles from Pride Baltimore too. Um, oh, I didn't realize
0: that actually.
1: Yeah the original oh. race was um, contest between them. <laughs>
0: uh, and, yeah, actually, that makes a lot of sense.
1: <laughs> uh, Captain Lane had a boat called Steel Rebel that was a, um, a fishing vessel, I think, or tugboat that he converted to a, and added a schooner rig to. Um, oh. And then later, he uh, then they designed, uh, I think Merritt Walters designed Norfolk Rebel from the keel up to be a sail-assisted tug. And yeah, it's it's such a cool vessel. And you know, during the Great Chesapeake Base Schooner Race, they usually, they, they sail with the engines off, just like everybody right. else, but they take up the rear and uh, <laughs> you know, everybody that has issues during the race.
0: Uh, right. Well, yeah. They're the caboose, which is just as important as
1: being yeah. out front.
0: So I think my question is, I mean, we've kind of gone from being on a submarine, which in my mind is kind of, you know, some of the most advanced technology probably out there. I mean, you're working with a, an engine that's a, it's a nuclear engine. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, it's a nuclear reactor, which really just means it's a steam plant where instead of diesel boilers or something or coal or something, you have a nuclear plant to create the steam.
0: I've seen total recall. I know how it works. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what makes you a modern sailor want to be in this traditional world? You know, you're, you're on board a traditional vessel. You're teaching these traditional uh traditional seamanship and here you come from this very technologically advanced world to sailing on board a traditional vessel which at its time I was gonna I was gonna make the comparison it was the submarine of its time but I was like that doesn't really make sense because it's a sailboat so I didn't want to (laughs) like
1: really the easy answer is it's just plain cool love sailing traditional vessels schooners you know I haven't done much experience but I just really, really love it, and I don't think anybody really is in this industry because they don't love it. It's obviously not for the money or anything else,
0: Right, exactly.
1: <laughs> I'm probably, I guess, a bit of a romantic, too. Something has always kind of drawn me to the sea and sailing and kind of that. There's uh, actually a really, one of my favorite quotes is, it's actually from the last, I think, Pirates of the Caribbean. He says, I have a rendezvous with my beloved horizon, and I, I love that. I absolutely love that. And I think about that phrase a lot, especially when we're out there sailing in open water, and you. And there's the horizon
0: and you're going one of my favorite quotes is funny you should mention it, it it was back in my office but i think it's zora Neal thurston and it's ships at a distance have every man's dreams on board and I always thought that was really, I, I completely agree. I think the, the romance part of it is, is absolutely true. And it's sailing off into the unknown. I just, you have to rely on yourself and there, there is that romantic adventure to it. And I think that, I, I think through this podcast, I, I hope that's what's going to come through. It's um, yeah, it's a lot of hard work. It's um, sometimes it really can be, Suck, <laughs> as with any job. But at the end of the day, it's your passion for it, and it's that sense of adventure that keeps you sailing.
1: Yeah, that's a big part of it. Another part of it is really the community too. Um, you know, my favorite times of year are the various festivals and races and events where we get to go get together and see everybody. You know, um, for me, that's Norfolk's Harbor Fest, which is usually in June. Unfortunately, can't. Mm-hmm here. Um, the Great Chesapeake Bay Schooner Race, um, Sultana's Downrigging Festival in Chestertown, Maryland, there. Um, mm-hmm. Those are also my favorite events. You know, this year um the Tall Ships America Conference was my first time attending it, thanks to you guys crew grant. Um, okay. And and that was, you know, there was no boats there, but it was just as awesome because the, the community is all there. And
0: I agree there is there is something about being surrounded by being at the downrigging weekend, which I have yet to be which I have yet to go to Um, But uh, I did go to Harbor Fest years ago. I was at Harbor Fest, but it's like the festivals we do over the summer. I mean, it's kind of like summer camp. You know, it's your, (laughs) like an adult summer camp. You know, it's like a reunion. It's a lot of hard work. There's not a lot of sleep involved and and it's hot and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, usually I'm left on the dock um, and watching the ship sail away. And there's that little piece of you that just kind of like, kind of breaks a little bit. And you're just like, bye. I'll see you when I see you, and they're off having adventures, and um, I'll see you in the next port, and it's so exciting to see the ships coming towards you and coming into the next port. If there is really something magical about that.
1: I think maybe my, my most introspective days are always the day after mm-hmm. a festival, especially one that you've hosted in your home port, and then everybody else left, and then everything's quiet again, and you're just looking around the docks, and you know, you're the only ship left, and that's, uh, I don't know. It's a little sad, but it's also really awesome just thinking about the next time we're all going to meet.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There is something I, when you see the docks all full all weekend and there's people there and there's ships. And, and then, yeah, you come down the next morning and everyone's gone. And it's just like this quiet little tumbleweed <laughs> strewn place. And it's just, but you're right, though. You, it just I think that always leaves you wanting more, you know, and I think that's a good way to to leave it. At least you're not like, oh, thank God they're gone. (laughs) (laughs) What is your favorite part about being on board Virginia?
1: I think my favorite part about Virginia is teaching the volunteer crew. We're still working up our student education programs. Mm -hmm. So really the the bulk of my focus on education right now is with the adult volunteers. Um, Some of them come on with lots of nautical and sailing experience and some with absolutely none. You know, we have people from, teenagers to people in their 70s, you know, they come down. Um, mm-hmm. And just teaching them about the ship, about how we operate, how we sail. Um, throughout the sailing season, I do like two nights a week. I'll do a class with the volunteers on board. Somebody sticks around long enough and goes through all of the um, cycle of training. Then, you know, you've learned everything you need to be an effective deckhand. On the uh, we do take out a lot of groups throughout the year for various um small things whenever you know we can the group that wants to come out or needs to come out we do a fair amount with like um some ROTC groups it's real great for them yeah and we're working on incorporating it into the year-long kind of education programs that sail nauticus runs like in, in partnership with a lot of various schools and stuff too kind of just focusing on local events and in keeping the ship close um so that the community has it there that was an issue in the past with the previous foundation that owned it in, it was gone a lot. People there that, um, that we depend on to support us didn't get a it that often.
0: Right. Yeah. It's common, you know, it's a, it's a common conundrum, you know, either you do these longer transits and, you know, so you have the opportunity to really, you know, do the teaching and people, and if you're a sailor, you want to go sailing for a long amount of time, but then at the same time being close to home. So you can work with those school groups, your donors can see the ship and, you know, people will have a connection to the ship in their home port. I think that's a real delicate balance. I have one last question for you. What is the Scottish Society of Tidewater?
1: Oh, okay. Cool. Um, so the because- Scottish Society of Tidewater is a, a small nonprofit in Norfolk that they've been around for about 30 years-ish, 40 years now maybe, that just is, exists to promote Scottish culture, society, heritage, everything else. Um, I've been a bagpiper for seventeen years. Get and out! That was
0: my next question. I was like, "Do you know how to play the bagpipes? That's awesome." Yep. <laughs> Although uh, maybe not during the quarantine.
1: Oh, I mean, it's great. <laughs> there's a there's a cartoon going around Facebook right now that at least in Scottish circles about that <laughs> twenty eight of quarantine. The guy's opening up a set of bagpipes in his computer screen. they have like, "Learn to play bagpipes at home," and his wife's <laughs> looking on terror. Yeah, so that's how I kind of came into the Scottish Society of here um, when I moved to Norfolk and then over the years then I joined the board of directors there um, and then for the last year I've actually been the president of that of that Scottish Society um, which has been really cool we're working real hard to bring in a lot of uh, you know younger people Uh, there's about 150 active members and when I first kind of started coming around I was the only person under the age of 30 that hung out there that wasn't somebody's kid um, and so, you know, I'm, all of my Scottish friends, all my friends that are into Scottish things, whether that's some, you know, generic interest in some family history or they play bagpipes, throw the, you know, the Highland athletics, the caber toss and the, the big heavy throwing or, yeah. Highland thing or whatever. I try to find the people my age out there and let them know that this thing is here and it's a great way for us to all kind of connect, um, around Scottish culture. And, uh, so we've been, uh, we've been growing, I think in more and more young people and it's been really really great. So. Oh that's
0: so cool! Well, who doesn't like running around in a kilt, really?
1: Oh man, I do it every day.
0: <laughs> so have you been to Scotland then?
1: Uh, just one time, yeah. I went a few years ago uh, with a couple of friends who are um, both uh, fiddlers, violinists, mm-hmm. and uh, we just kind of toured around the country with a friend who's from there, had a great time, played music every <laughs> single night. Somewhere. There's a lot of little like pub sessions you can find where people just you can just sit down and play. And we either found one to join or created our own every single night we were there.
0: <laughs> you know, I do not know. I don't. So I was. I went to Oxford right before going to the Sail Training International conference. It just. It was cheaper to fly into London, so then try to fly over to Europe. But um. But I remember I. You find your local pub, and there's a pub literally every 25 feet. And I'm, I do not know how these people, how do you live like this? It's amazing. And you know, the local pub and, and everyone knows you. I went there twice. I sat quietly in the corner, read my book, like, you know, had my peas and mash or whatever and, you know, drank my beer. And, you know, I went there twice and they are like, who are you? Where are you from? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, it was so great. I was like, how would you ever give this up? <laughs> Although the joke when I left was, um, this guy asked me where I was from and I always say Boston because you know, if you're outside of Rhode Island or if you're in Europe, not a lot of people know where Rhode Island is. And, uh, I was like, these pubs are so great. You know, this is so welcoming, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, you know, if you hadn't thrown the tea into the harbor, you could have had this too. And I thought it was. (laughs) (laughs) So I, uh, I envy you that you were, that you got the opportunity to, uh, travel around Scotland. It looks absolutely beautiful. Anything you want to plug?
1: Well, if you're, uh, Anywhere in the Southeast Virginia area and interested in coming sailing, come out and volunteer on Schooner Virginia and we'll get you out on the water. That's perfect.
0: Thank you so much, Corey. I really appreciate you taking the time. I promise I will edit this so we both come off very charming and very witty. (laughs) (laughs) A Bark, a Brig, and a Schooner Walk Into a Bar is a Tall Ships America production. The music provided by Kebab Studios. You can find us in all the usual places, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Tall Ships America, and on our website at tallshipsamerica.org. Send us your sea stories or drop us a line at manager at tallshipsamerica.org. As always, be sure to support your local Tallship.